kids want to be here and they feel comfortable here and they feel like um, it's a program that they want to be a part of. They're not going to get berated or put down or, or you know, cussed at or, or um, you know, just thrown to the curb, you know, sort of thing. So I think we've done a good job of just creating a culture where uh, people in the area, uh, you know, want to be a part of our program. Um, you know, they see that they take, can take a little bit of pride in their field, and I think that goes a long way, and um, I think people want to play, play on a nice facility. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Unbelievably, summer is already over for some of you. Well, many of us, including myself, are now at the point where we're counting down the remaining days. So for those of you who have already started fall practices and for those of you who are getting ready, good luck on the upcoming season. And thanks for tuning in to the High School Coaches Club. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They have powered the High School Coaches Club for years now. And if you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first call. They'll be your only call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros. They're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Matuzic. He's the head baseball coach at Granada Hills Charter School in Los Angeles. Back in the day, he actually played at Sweet Home High School, which is just about an hour south of where I'm sitting right now, under then-head coach Rob Younger, who was featured back in episode 47 of this very podcast. You probably know Coach Tews on Twitter because of the incredible work he does not only on the Granada Hills baseball field, but also on his own yard. But he's obviously so much more than field work, and it was really fun giving him a platform here to share what he's learned throughout his career. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 86 with Matt Matuzic. All right, I'm joined by Matt Matuzic. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad I, you know, we talked, you know, baseball being a really small world and then high school sports being a real small world. And, you know, it's kind of cool because uh, you, you obviously know Rob Younger. And he was on this show, um, you know, 40 some episodes ago. Uh, and, you know, he was obviously played a big part in your life. So just kind of thinking of the role of high school sports and the impact high school coaches can have on people. Can you get into your relationship a little bit with, with Rob Younger and, and what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, coach Younger was, uh, you know, my mentor growing up. He was my high school football coach. Um, you know, I was his TA for his class periods. Uh, he just had a big, big impact on my life and, uh, kept in touch with him, uh, for all all the way after high school. He's a big reason why I got into coaching. He actually offered me my first coaching job, coaching high school football, uh, back in, I believe 2002, 2002 or 2003. I can't remember. Uh, right there when I was in college. Um, and then I got coaching with him. And then uh, he's just been, like I said, a mentor and a father figure and 
a big part of my life ever since. He was the officiant of my wedding uh, a few summers ago. Um, married my wife and I, and um, you know we still keep in touch. He came down and visited um, a couple months ago with his wife. Uh, they were out in Santa Clarita. Got to see them, and and uh, he's just just a great, great person and a great, great mentor. And he's a big reason that I got into coaching today. He's a huge part of the Oregon um, like Athletic Coaches Association, and I had never met him face to face. And so we did our we did our podcast, you know, and got to know him pretty good through it, and talked about all the kids he's had, and just like the life and sweet home that he set up for himself. And then, like uh, a few months later, I'm golfing at an Oregon Athletic Coaches Association like fundraiser. Uh, one of yeah. my basketball coaching friends wanted me to go golf with him, and I did. And we're waiting to tee up, and the group in front of us, you know, some old guy just turns around. And he goes, wait, are you Max? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> who are you? He's like, I'm Rob Younger. I'm like, oh, my God. So we hugged, and we got to meet each other. It was pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Hopefully you didn't get any golf advice from him. He, he He's not the best <laughs> of golfers. I'm just, to- I don't, I'm, I'm totally kidding on that. Hopefully he doesn't hear I got this. To, I got to watch him tee off, but I don't, I don't have any memory of, it was a few years ago, so I don't remember what happened on it. But, <laughs> uh, one of those, golfing's kind of scary, because especially if you're in like a big group like that, like a fundraiser, because then there's like people yeah. waiting in the tee box for you to tee off, and it's like, well, I'm oh, not really good at golf anyway. <laughs> yeah. I got to tee off in front of like seven people that I don't know. Like, yeah, 100%. So you you know grew up obviously at sweet home and if people want to get real deep into sweet home they can go listen to the Rob Younger episode and uh, yeah. get really deep into it but um, you know you 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 said you ended up coaching there while you were in college where did you go to college I went to I, well long story short I, I started off at Cal State Fullerton my first semester I wanted to get out of town uh, and move to California for college and that that didn't work out I was only there about a, a semester financially and everything moved back home and I had, actually ended up going up to Western Oregon University uh, and uh, literally so it must have been 2002 that I started coaching because uh, I had right away uh, he I'd started playing fall baseball and uh, he pulled me aside I went down and visited him kind of had one of those life talks and and he says hey look I'm looking for a JV offensive coordinator and a, a receivers coach and um, so yeah I went for, I actually literally commuted from Western Oregon University down to Sweet Home to coach football with him yes. so yeah <laughs> that's not the most fun drive in the world I remember I, I I came back during the summer one year and coached my high school baseball's like summer team yeah and i remember it being really bizarre because you're not like you're not that much older than the kids and so you're like trying to establish yourself as like this almost like like i have authority because i'm this adult but at the same time i'm like two years older than some of the kids that are that i'm like being entrusted to coach is a really kind of a hundred percent for sure i mean you're still wanting to get in at bat you're still wanting to throw the ball around you know you (laughs) you're still young you're still 20 21 years old when you start and totally understand that one yeah it's weird there's coaches um it happens a lot in iowa i've talked to quite a few coaches in iowa who um there's you know they're high school baseball season is played mostly during the summer and so they'll get a lot of of summer during the summer they get a lot of players that have gone off and played college baseball and then they come home and they coach summer teams and we've even had a few on here who like ended up becoming head coaches at like age 20 that's just that is just crazy because you're just so close in age and it's such a bizarre like you you know all the stuff they know you want to be friendly with them that's just a weird experience i think completely understand that yeah 
what did you do after college then? Did you, was it immediate, like, I'm going to become a teacher and go coach? Did you know that no. right away? Like, what was that process for you? Actually, it's funny you should ask. No, I actually, uh, this is going to sound terrible probably for, for some listeners, but I, I actually dropped out of college while I was coaching and uh, became a professional poker player. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, I was a professional poker player. Um, just uh, hadn't really kind of figured out what I wanted to do with my life other than I knew I wanted to coach. Uh, I was making pretty good money doing that. I was, you know, decent at what I was doing. And school just really wasn't for me. I wasn't the greatest college student. Um, and so I kind of stepped aside from from uh, from school for a while. I should say a while for like eight years. Uh, while I was still a coach. And then, um, gosh, I was probably somewhere around 29 years old or so when I finally said, you know what, Uh, I'm kind of growing up a little bit. I kind of want to do something a little bit more fulfilling with my time. Uh, There was some other factors that that played in there as well. And so I I ended up meeting with an advisor back at Western Oregon uh, and just I had no clue where I was at or how close I was to graduating. I honestly, I just wasn't a very good college student at the time. And uh, figured out that, gosh, I was really like about a year away from being able to graduate from college and, and um, you know, then would need to go, you know, pursue my teaching career and uh, decided to go back. Sorry for the bell in the background. If you heard that, I'm, I'm at school here and they got summer school going on. Uh, I decided that I wanted to go back and finished and I did. And it's the best thing that I ever did because um, I love being a teacher. And, uh, you know, like I said, like just kind of the fulfillment of. Uh, you know, this, I, I got into coaching, you know, to, to make an impact on kids' lives. And I'm able to do that through teaching. And um, so, yeah, there was a, a good seven or eight year gap there where uh, I was just coaching baseball and coaching football and, and um, uh, living the life, I guess you'd say. That was during the, like, that's when they started putting the World Series of Poker and stuff. They were putting all of that on ESPN. Yes. I remember I was in, I was in like high school, middle school-ish, like during that time. And I remember it, every time we'd hang out, like me and all my buddies, we'd always play Texas Hold'em. It was just, yep. we'd spend hours and hours and hours doing it. I, it's hard to explain to people who might not have lived through it how insanely popular poker got right during that time that you said you were playing it yeah. kind of professionally. Thank you, Chris Moneymaker, and the poop poker yeah. boom that we had. So, yeah. <laughs> Did Rob ever try to talk you out of it? Did he ever give you life talk about why playing he poker? Ne- he, I don't know that. I don't remember if he ever talked me out, tried to talk me out of it, but I don't think he really understood it. Um, you know, it's one of those things I always had to constantly explain because people didn't really understand. They thought that I was, you know, gambling or that I was having a lucky run or that it was like not something yeah. that I could sustain. You know. Um, but, uh, I sustained it. And I think just over time, people kind of realized, oh, okay, maybe this is legit, but I don't remember him ever having a life talk with me of of that. Um, we had many life talks, so I'm sure maybe it did come up, but I can't recall. Well, I know you ended up back at sweet home again, then later in in the head baseball coach, which is about the time that I finished high school. I finished high school in 2007. So I went off and okay. went away. So we would have played against each other had I still, had I still been at that time, but yeah. um, you kind of got to come home, so to speak, and, and become a head baseball coach yeah. not too long after you decided to kind of commit to it. Right. Yeah. So I, I, well, so I was, I was a, the freshman coach at sweet home for two years. And then I was the JV coach at sweet home for two years. And that was, I, I started, that would have been like the spring start starting like 2002 or 2000, probably 2003. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 
what ended up happening is I actually, again, we talked about being young and thinking, you know, everything and, <laughs> um, you know, th- that whole thing. I, I applied for my first co- head coaching job at, at Central High School, which is our rival, you know, probably just yeah. down the road from you. Uh, and, and I thought I was going to get it and I didn't get it. And I was really bummed out. Um, and so what I actually ended up doing, I didn't want to go back and coach JV baseball anymore at Sweet Home. I just kind of knew that I wanted to be at the varsity level and I kind of wanted to learn some things. So so one of the best things that I ever did was, I, again, I was playing poker for a living, online poker on a laptop. And so wherever I had a laptop, I, I had a job. And so I actually moved uh, out to Yucaipa, California for a couple or for a little over a year uh, and got to co- go coach down there. And that that I learned more about the game from coach stout coach stout was a legend he was there for 41 years i think he's fifth all time in the state of california and career wins uh and got to kind of step away from uh oregon baseball a little bit and see something a little bit new and learn some stuff and then i went back to sweet home my first year at sweet home i got the job and i believe it was 2010 spring 2010 was my first year at sweet home uh and got to go kind of yeah go back to my alma mater and um, you know, coach back in my hometown where I, where I grew up and played. And, and that was, you know, uh, quite the experience, again, a learning experience as well. Uh, you're still, I was still young at that point, you know, and you mentioned just you're young and you think, you know, everything, and you've got a certain way that you want to do things. And, uh, you think you're smarter than everybody else. And you figure out really quick that you're not. <laughs> it's true. I remember, uh, you'd mentioned off air, um, that one of the a couple actual first rounders you had, uh, when you were down in California, Matt Davis and yeah. Taiwan Walker. And it's funny, the Taiwan Walker one, because obviously he became a Mariner. And yeah. uh, I remember when Felix Hernandez was called up, it was a huge deal. I'll, I'll always remember it. And then I remember when Taiwan Walker was called up, like that was a huge deal too. <laughs> and oddly yeah. enough, it was the, I'll, I, I don't know why I remember this, but it was the first tweet that I ever had. Like I created a Twitter account Remember, I was uh-huh. in um, <clears throat> in college in our college house, and we had the Mariners game on. I created a tweet on a laptop, you know, like on a computer. <laughs> and yeah. my first tweet was something about watching Taiwan Walker's Major League debut um, and just how electric he was. He was a, a yeah. fun guy to watch. He was fun to watch, and you know what? He was even more of a fun, more fun of a basketball player to watch. He was just a phenomenal athlete. I always joked with him and said, "Hey, you could probably play shortstop at the big league level." That might have been an exaggeration, but he probably could have got drafted. Uh, as, as a infielder, he was that good. And he also could have played. Um, I don't know if he would have become a professional basketball player, but he, he had D1 offers as a, as a basketball player as well. He's a phenomenal athlete. Do you believe that uh, he's a phenomenal athlete because he played multiple sports or he's played multiple sports because he's a phenomenal athlete? Uh, probably both. Um, yeah, you know, he was a basketball first guy and I, I, and yeah, I think playing multiple sports obviously helps a lot, but yeah, he, I mean, he's just a, you know, I can remember watching him just, you know, do a three sixty dunk in high school, which was a son heard of, you know, again, I was used to watching high school basketball in, in, in Oregon where you might see one dunk a year, you know, and, and he's out there doing alley-oops and three sixty dumps dunks, just, a, you know, a whole different athlete. But yeah, I think the multi-sport thing definitely helped. So you're, you know, so then obviously you mentioned you, you end up back at Sweet Home. Uh, at some point there, I imagine, is when you fell in love with taking care of baseball fields because what yeah. you do is phenomenal. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I did. I really fell in love with that there. And and I don't really know at what point. I guess that started there because, you know, I, I took a lot of pride in my field. I, I always, um, 
you know, loved nice baseball fields. And, you know, it goes all the way back to, you know, Randy Brock at North Marion High School. I don't know mm, if you oh ever get an opportunity to play those guys. but um, That field is unbelievable. Yeah, I, you know, I remember playing high school baseball at, at, at North Marion High School. They were they were at the time in Sweet Homes League when I played and, and had some just phenomenal teams. And just that was just a whole nother level. You felt like you were playing on a major league field. And um, I can remember w- when I got the job at Sweet Home, uh, Randy was one of the first guys that I'd reached out to and just said, hey, Randy, you know, um, have a lot of pride in, or I have a lot of respect for what you've done and you've always taken pride in your field. And I, I needed infield mix. And so I kind of reached out to him, um, you know, just to, to try to locate infield mix. And, and so I think that's kind of where I started was, was you know, I guess I'd give Randy Brock some credit for for how great he maintained his field. It made me want to motivated to want to do something even similar or even close to dissimilar to what they have. And, um, you know, yeah, that kind of started my passion for it and didn't really know what I was doing. Like I said, I've everything that I know I've learned from other people, obviously that's kind of the name of the game with everything, but, um, you know, I guess that that's kind of where it started. You guys obviously end up being successful. You win first playoff game in like 20 years or something like that. Um, fast forward a while, and then you end up where you've been for the last five or six years now. Um, yeah. Kind of talk me through that transition for you, how you ended up from up here in Oregon to then all of a sudden being down in California with a, a school that's probably so big that <laughs> I, I can't even yeah. kind of grasp how large it is. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I don't know how it happened to be honest. It's just, uh, you know, um, you know, I will. So what, what I guess kind of the way that it happened is, is I, you know, I went back, like I mentioned, I went back to school and and got my teaching degree and, um, you know, finished up my student teaching. I was working at South Albany high school, uh, you know, uh, as a football coach and, and, um, I was a special education assistant there and, you know, as a PE guy, there's not a lot of PE jobs that really open up. Um, you know, you're lucky to get, you know, what five in the state that open up every spring, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe there's more or less give, give or take a few. And, and I, I'd applied to a couple, you know, PE jobs in, in, in Oregon, um, didn't get the job. And, and so I was kind of expanding my search to just like, you know, gosh, I, I got to start my teaching career. I got to get a, a real job. Um, you know, wanted to get into, you know, something different. And so I kind of expanded my search to the entire West coast. And, uh, I had found a, I, I had applied for a job. I was in the Bay area for two years, uh, kind of a stop gap to get down to Southern California. And I always wanted to get to Southern California. My, my extended family was from Southern California. I'd loved my time here at Ukaipa or my time at Ukaipa when I was there. And uh, I've always loved the sunshine and everything about Southern California. And so the goal was always to get to Southern California and uh, I just was able to kind of get lucky and fortunate enough that they would hire me in the, in the Bay area and, and, um, you know, was kind of looking down here while I was there and, and got lucky enough to, uh, you know, Granada Hills charter here where I'm at now in love, uh, they had had a, a posting for a PE teacher and head baseball job. And, uh, you know, again, long story short, just thought it was time to jump on that possible opportunity and they hired me and here I am. When that when you when you saw that opening up, you're thinking, okay, I want to get in South Southern California. I want to be head baseball coach, uh, and I I obviously want to be a PE teacher. All three of those things kind of line up for you, yeah. Uh, and it, it, ha- it happens to line up at a, at a school that's absolutely huge. And I, I'm not yeah. oh, I'm not overstating that. So all this kind of lines up for you. Are you when you're applying for that? Do you feel like you've got a shot at it, or did it at the time did it feel like it was kind of a shot in the dark? Like what was no, your confidence I mean, level with it? I felt, I don't know. I don't know. I'd 
don't want to don't want to sound like you know arrogant. I, I felt fairly confident only because I'd had a decent resume, um, and again, I had you know good mentors who who wrote me letters of recommendation. And if I have one skill as a, as a person, I, I interview fairly well, I think. Um, and so I knew that if I could get into the interview room, that that um, I'd have a shot. And uh, you know, I, I I run things you know in a first class sort of way with with good references and. Um, you know, also the other thing too is, is their baseball program here was, was kind of secondary. They, they weren't, mm-hmm. um, uh, their, their baseball program was fairly mediocre. They'd had four coaches in, in four years. And, and, um, I know, I knew that kind of what they were looking for was somebody, you know, somebody that would bring stability and kind of, uh, run things a certain way. If that makes sense. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think they were looking for somebody. I, I'm sure if they had somebody that had, you know, multiple, you know, CIF championships, they would have hired them. Uh, and obviously I don't have that on my resume, but, but I knew what they were looking for was structure and somebody who would come in and, and, um, run it the right way. And, and, and I thought I had those things on my resume. So, yeah, I, I mean, somewhat some kind of a shot in the dark, but I kind of thought, I thought that I kind of checked the boxes of what they were looking for. When you, four different coaches in four years is a lot. And so then you come in and you're, I guess the fifth and five years at the time. Right. If I'm like a parent in the program and my kid's going into a senior year, like that's gotta be a weird experience for them because here I am, you know, my kids finally get, got to a senior year. We're going to have another new head coach for the, you know, the fourth time every year. Like, how do you, how do you walk into that? I don't know if convince is the right word, but like, how do you, like, how do you go into that situation and, and help them see that you you can help them and that you're here to stay or at least you're, you're going to provide that stability that they've all been looking for for seemingly a long time? Yeah, well, and honestly, I don't know that they believed it. But but the thing was, is I had to let them know, hey, look, I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. Like, I'm not a one and done guy. Um, I'm going to be here, you know, for the time being. I had to show them how much I cared. Um, and again, uh, it goes back to what I that one of the boxes that I was checking on on what they were looking for was I was going to build a program where uh, it was about family, it was about culture, it was about doing the right things, it was about stability. Uh, it wasn't going to be just oh we're going to do everything we can. Of course, we did everything we can to try to win year one, but it's not just about trying to win it win right away. Mm-hmm. Again, of course, we're trying to win right away, but but looking for long-term success and setting the foundation and making sure that we were going to establish a culture of family and um, trust and, and all those other things that you try to instill in a, in a good baseball program. And I think just through seeing that and seeing how much that I cared about them individually as people and that they weren't just a baseball player that was going to be there for a year and then be gone. And that I was, you know, wasn't going to do anything to, to continue their, their legacy um, I think was kind of the key to, to letting them know, Hey, look, like, I'm not the last guy who's just going to ditch out on you or who's going to quit or who's going to get, you know, fired for, for doing something dumb. Um, I'm going to do this the right way. When you kind of look back, do you, well, first off, what time of year did you get hired? Was it early in the summer? Yeah, no, it was uh, fairly late in the summer. I think I got hired in, in like middle of July. Um, which is odd because, you know, you'd think they would have posted it earlier, but I, I don't, I, maybe it had been posted for a while. I don't know. Maybe they, Maybe they didn't. I got hired mid-July and, and we started school in fairly early August. So it was one of those where I kind of had to, to, to pack up and, um, you know, be gone right, be, be gone down here to L.A. pretty much right away. 
when you you came from Oregon, so you obviously yeah. know when we when we do like baseball tryouts and all that stuff, it's in the end of February, early March, right. and it's a really bizarre thing for me to wrap my mind around because I just saw that you guys have your tryouts coming up August first and August second, and that's a really yeah. that's hard to wrap my mind around because obviously, in you know up here in Oregon, we don't start you know tryouts till late February, yeah. early March, so. What has that been like for you? Obviously, you had a couple years of it before James Logan, but like, what right. what was that like for you to wrap your mind around when you moved from Oregon down to down to California? Um, well, one, I loved it. Um, you know, I, again, I've always been a multi sport athlete, and we do still have multi sport athlete guys. So I don't want it to sound like, oh, these kids should play year round. I wish they, I wish more of them would do more things. But I loved it from the standpoint that you got to kind of run a baseball program. Um, and, you know, it was a year round thing where you could really put an impact on, you know, things like the weight room and conditioning and, um, arm care and those sort of things. You know, one of my, one of my always complaints when I was up there in Oregon and, and, and I'm sure, as you know, I know they don't have the rule of two anymore. I'm sure, I think you guys have something different or similar, but yeah. you know, I, I get these things where, you know, or get, get these situations where kids would come out of wrestling season, uh, or basketball season, you know, and we'd play a game in a week. And yep. again, I'm, I'm happy that they're in basketball season and wrestling season and competing for, you know, state titles and wrestling and all that stuff. And that's awesome. And I'm there rooting for them. But, you know, some of them, it, it, it's it's a stretch to get them to come out and play catch more than once a week or twice a week. And in, in some cases, not at all if, if their winter sport coach doesn't allow that, um, you know, and then you got to turn around and play a game in a week and, and their arms aren't built up and, um, you know, it, it, but anyway, being able to, to really structure, you know, the weight room, the arm care stuff uh, is something that I really like. And, and we still work that around because we have a six period baseball class, which, um, you know, I see my kids every single day for, for PE class. And so even the kids who are multi-sport guys, you know, say I got a soccer player, you know, my center fielder right now is, is one of the stars of the soccer team. And so he comes out and I've got him for, you know, 48 minutes or however long our class period is. And he can come out, he can get his arm care stuff. He can get his long toss in. Um, you know, if we're in the weight room that day, he can be in the weight room with us that day. He can get some cuts and then, Hey, go run down to soccer practice at, at when the bell rings at three twenty, and, and, and go, you know, compete for the soccer team. And, and so um, I love it. Um, but, but again, I, I, I do try to push those kids to play multiple sports. Unfortunately, in this day and age, it doesn't happen as often as is back when you and I played. But um, I think it's a good thing. Well, you just think about how long it takes to ramp up an arm to be ready to throw even, you know, 45 pitches in the first game of the season. Right. Like that's that's a process that you're a few months back. And so right. we get into that, too, where. Um, fortunately our coaches are pretty good at letting kids come out, but at the same time, sometimes kids just aren't going to show up and that's fine. You know, yeah. if they're playing basketball or something and they just want to focus on basketball, um, how does the, the period work? So if you have, like you mentioned a kid playing soccer and baseball, how, does then during baseball seasons, does he have a soccer class? Like how does that process work yeah. out and how they, how that, no, because no, most of the class, most of the sports don't have classes because they're off okay. campus you know, coaches. So we're, we're, uh, I say, unfortunately, I wish we had more. Uh, Unfortunately, right now, we don't have a lot of on-campus coaches. We have a handful of them, um, you know, like this, the the softball coaches on campus. So, so he has a class and, um, you know, there's a couple other classes, the volleyball uh, coach has a class, but most, most coaches, as you know, or I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that most coaches, at least in our school, in this day and age, you know, it's hard to get, teachers who are head coaches. Like I said, I don't know what the percentage is, 
but uh, they then they've got to have a PE credential and, and 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 so on and so forth. So so no, I mean we start practice at two thirty every day because that's when you know six period starts. That's awesome. I think that's really cool because then you you're you're essentially practicing during the school day and right. they're getting I assume they're getting PE credit for it yes. too, which makes sense to me because it's always been a weird thing of like yeah. wait I have to take a PE class. And, I, yeah. and then after school, I'm going off to, you know, you know football yes. practice or whatever. So it, it makes a exactly. lot of sense. It, they, they, they get a PE credit. But then also, you know, you think about how much time, especially if they're in Oregon with how much you guys have to travel. I know obviously your league up there sure. in Salem, you don't travel as much. But like when we were in Sweet Home, we'd have to – sometimes these kids are getting out of school at 1 o'clock to – or even earlier to, to go across the mountain to Sisters, Oregon or, or to Lapine or, yeah. or somewhere like that where, you know, we, our kids, they're getting out of class. They might miss some of fifth period, but, but they're, you know, at least we have that class period where they're missing their PE baseball class to play baseball, you know, which yeah, kind of helps a little bit. You're not missing out on the same math class, like two days a week and then trying to yeah, make that exactly. up and take best. And it's just such a pain. Right. Thank you. That's cool. So you you run uh, tryouts then in August. So was it the same way when you first took over the program when you got hired in July? No. Well, the first year it wasn't only because, you know, it was so late. Like I said, I got hired in mid-July or whatever, maybe even the third or fourth week of July. I can't remember. But no, I had tryouts. Yeah, probably uh, a month or so into school. I, I, I since made that before school started because, um, I try to set that class roster and then try to give guys different ideas of where they're going to be and kind of expectations or, you know, have conversations with people to, to say, Hey, look, like, you know, heading into this year, this might be your role. Is this something that you want to commit to, you know, those sort of things so that we can kind of, um, you know, have an idea of what we're going to have going into the school year. Cause like I said, we, we, we start practice. We, we don't, we're not like full blown, like, you know, practicing two hours a day, you know, in August, but, uh, we like to try to have an idea of what kind of where our rosters are at, parent meetings, things like that or early on. And that's the other thing, too, is we have, you know, fall ball and winter ball down here, you know, which is, you know, different than up in Oregon, obviously, because of the weather. So, um, you know, we can have guys that are out there that are, you know, they're playing games on Saturdays. But um, but, yeah, we try to do our, our tryouts early. I know there's some one of our league rivals down the street did tryouts in June. You know, they already did tryouts for next school year and, you know, at the end of last school year, which was kind of odd to me, but, um, uh, we don't, but, but yeah, we, we, we do that in August and that's kind of the reason why. Well, that also, also makes oh, me sorry, think one, of like, one other piece, sorry, one other piece. Yeah. Plus another thing, if it, uh, another big piece of that too, is to say we, you know, we will have, you know, 40 freshmen come try out. And if, you know, say we're going to cut 20 of those freshmen, they know, okay, uh, I really want to play baseball. It's not going to happen here at Granada. That way, if they want to go enroll at another school, or, you know, they want to take a shot, they can go and they don't waste, you know, half their school year and then they get cut. And, you know, that, that way they can kind of have an idea of where, you know, if they do want to transfer over to another school. Well, that's almost exactly what I was going to mention right after that is that it's kind of nice because I know for us, it's, it's this weird thing that every year there's, you know, three, four, five, six, ten 10 at the most kids that consistently come to off-season workouts but because we can't hold official tryouts until, you know, February, March, yeah. um, you know, I, I can't tell this kid, hey, man, stop coming to <laughs> coming to our open gyms or whatever. That's not good. You know, you're not going to make the team later because uh, yeah. it, it's kind of open to everybody. And so kind of it's hard because you have this kid who keeps showing up and works, works hard, you know, keeps putting the work. But he's just I mean, he's just never going to get to a point where he'll be capable yeah. of being a high school baseball player. Right. And 
So they almost get strung along and you kind of have conversations with them and help them understand it. But until tryouts come yeah. along and they actually get cut, like a lot of times that reality doesn't sink in for them. And I think like, yeah. man, you just spent, you just spent seven months, six months with us all this time and effort and energy. And now I have to like cut you and that's a, it sucks for me and it is really awful for them. And like yeah. this whole thing gets avoided by you having tryouts in early August. Like, I think that's really nice for you, but then I think it's incredible for them. They can focus yeah. their time on something else. Or like you said, they could, they could transfer to another school if they want to keep playing baseball, maybe. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing too, you know, to go with what you're saying is, you know, you have those conversations with kids sometimes and they just don't understand. They think I'm going to be that, you know, 1% that, you know, mm-hmm. improved, you know, 400% over the course of however many months are going to work and that they're going to make it and they're going to, you know, I, I'm going to be that one and I'm going to work really hard. And, and, and I love that that have that drive. And I hate, that's hate having to burst that bubble. You know um, that's the worst thing you have to do as a coach is tell a kid that, Hey, you know, you're just not going to make it in our program. You know, you always lose sleep over those conversations. So now I think you're six years in, is that correct? Yes. I just finished year six. It's crazy. I still feel like I'm the new guy. Of course, COVID and everything <laughs> those years were kind of yeah. a wash and that was right in the middle of everything. But now look at you, you've outlasted the, the four years, four coach and four years thing. I know. Um, yeah. 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 Three straight league championships. If my, if my memory serves yeah. correct. And so yeah, uh, kind of looking back now that you've had a chance, obviously the COVID stuff is all weird. But as you yeah. kind of sit where you're sitting now, what are some of the things that you think that you think your program did well to get you in the spot where you guys are right now? It goes back to what I said, just setting that culture of family, setting that culture of, you know, hey, we're going to do things the right way. We're going to work hard. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to care about kids. We're going to go out and we're going to, you know, we're going to be honest. We're going to be trustworthy. We're going to do what we say. We're, you know, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to build that culture. It's all about culture and chemistry. It really is. And and I think we've done a pretty good job. I say we, as in my coaching staff has done a really good job of, of creating that culture of where kids want to be here and they feel comfortable here and they feel like um, it's a program that they want to be a part of. They're not going to get berated or put down or, or, you know, cussed at or, or, um, you know, just thrown to the curb, uh, you know, sort of thing. So I think we've done a good job of just creating a culture where uh, people in the area, uh, we, we, you know, want to be a part of our program. I think also one of the things that you obviously have done really well is stress the importance of, of your facility. And I think there's something, and we kind of talked about a little bit with North Marion High School and back back when you're looking at Sweet Home and and where you yeah. are now, obviously, where when you, when, I, when as a coach, I put in a bunch of time into our facility, like kids and parents see that, they know that I'm working really hard and I'm not, there's nothing that I like personally gain out of it, right? Other than just lost right. time from other things that I could be doing, right? And so I think yeah. there's also that part of it too, where when everybody else sees how much effort and time you're putting into this, uh, making the field look good, making the stands look good, you know, making the dugouts look nice, whatever it might be, windscreens, even just yeah. simple stuff. But when they see you put in all this time, I think it helps create that culture of like, uh, I, we're all in this together. I'm here. I'm a big part of this. Like you guys are, are, are going to have the best facility that I can make for you. I think it kind of then snowballs yeah. and keeps, keeps going and helps kind of, yeah. I don't know, build that culture too. Well, thank you. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And that definitely plays a factor into it. And, and again, it goes back to what I said, you know, if, if, if the kids don't see how much you care and how hard that you work, why would they want to work hard and why would they care as much, you know? And so, 
I, I care a lot about my job and I care a lot of, I take a lot of pride in the things that I do, not just with the program, but as you mentioned, the field, um, I put a lot of time and energy and in, into that. And, uh, I want them to have the best facilities possible. And, you know, part of that too, is, you know, every year, you know, not to change directions, but when we do fundraising stuff, it's not more about like, Hey, we're just going to fundraise on this generic thing. It's like, Hey, what do you guys want? Oh, you guys want, uh, like we got a new feeder up in the base, the batting cages. You guys want this new team feeder up in the batting cages. All right, cool. We're going to make this happen. You know? And so they have all the nice things that they want and, and, um, you know, you know, the nice field and they know that, you know, we're going to put the, of course they always, you know, not complain, but we have to do a little bit of field work, but I don't think yeah. we do a whole lot more field work or I don't think our kids do a whole lot more field work than, than every other school. I, cause I ask questions and I look and I monitor, but, um, you know, they see that they take, can take a little bit of pride in their field. And I think that goes a long way. And, um, I think people want to play, play on a nice facility. How much time would you say you spend on that field in any given week? You know what? Probably not as much as people think I do. Um, it no used way. to be a lot more one, you know, one, I, I don't live, I live up in Ventura County, which is, yeah, I, I have a lot, I have about a 40 to 45 minute commute each way to school each day. And, and part of that is, is, you know, cause I could afford a house out there, but two, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get away and make myself have to not be mm. at school. I used to live across the, my first couple of years, I lived across the street at school and I was here nonstop. And of course I wasn't married with my dogs and a life, you know, <laughs> when I moved down here. Yeah. But, um, so it's a little bit different now, but as far as to answer your question, um, you know, I don't know. That's a tough question. I, I mow my, I mow my grass. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, I, I prep my stuff and I do my, my infield work and sure I've got to edge a little bit here and there and, and nail drag and do all that stuff. But um, I don't know. It's hard to really put a number as far as the amount of time that I put into it. But, you know, the, the, I, I've also delegated a lot of the stuff, too. You know, I used to do everything. I used to not let my kids touch our pitching mound. You know, um, it used to have to be absolutely pristine, perfect and, <laughs> you know, laser dialed in to the exact dimensions of a major league mound. And it was going to be pristine. And I was the only one who was allowed to repair it. And now my kids like literally do like 90 percent of the work on it. Um, you know, they paint the logo on the back. I've kind of trained them to where the kids do a lot of the work and, you know, we hand drag everything with hand drags. So that I'm not dragging the field with like a, a gator or a tractor or any of that stuff. And, um, you know, I got to do a little, you know, set the sprinklers off. Doesn't really take any time. And the most time that I really put into it is, is the mowing thing. But, you know, you made the comment of, you know, I don't get anything out of it. I'm sure, I'm sure you didn't mean it as harsh as that, but I get therapeutic stuff out of that. Like for me, it's very therapeutic to, to mow a grass and stripe up a nice pattern in, in a, in a nicely manicured grass. And, um, I, I don't know, that's very, I, I'm, people probably think that's weird, but that's very therapeutic to me to, to have nice stuff. And again, I like to have nice stuff too. And when I get compliments on my grass, it kind of makes that time worth it. Well, it's funny because I, I think you already know this. Our field was vandalized this past spring, so we didn't have yeah. a home field. We played in uh, some other places. And uh, one of the places we played most of our home games was Willamette University. And so when we'd yeah. show up for that, the field would already be ready. And so there was yeah. nothing for me to do. And it was a really weird experience this year because I'd get there normal time like I normally would, like three hours before game time. There'd be no one yeah. else there. And I'd just get there and kind of sit in the dugout. And I just I would get really bored. So like, what a... Like, what do turf coaches do? Because it, yeah. I didn't think I would miss. It's weird because when I think about it, I'm like, I don't want to go paint the lines. and do, like I, I always dread having to go do it. And then like you said, when I'm actually doing it, 
it is really therapeutic. And then I'm able to think through a lot of different things and it's kind of yeah. calming for me and it gives me something to do before a game. Whereas this year, I, I didn't have that at all. And it was yeah. a really weird experience for me because I found myself, you know, pregame almost, almost bored to the point of like fidgety and like, I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm definitely a different person on road games versus home games. And my coaches would tell you that like I'm, I'm uh, when we go on road games, I, I love road games. People think it's crazy that I I'd rather go to a road game than have a home game. They're like, oh, you got a nice field and you want to show up. I love road games. I'm, I'm like hyper. I'm jumping around. I'm joking around. I'm a lot more loose <laughs> on home games. You know, I I'm, you know, I'm running around. I'm trying to get the lines perfect. And, and again, luckily I have a lot of good assistant coaches who, 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 you know, help me out and show up, but I'm just trying to get everything perfect you know, and dialed in. And yeah, that same thing. I don't, I certainly don't get bored, <laughs> you know, probably to the point you do, but yeah, I definitely like road games because it's just a lot less stressful and I can, I can focus a little bit more, but uh, you know, again, nothing's better than having a nice striped grass and, and putting in that time and having, you know, kids say, wow, thank you coach. And then every once in a while you just wake up at home and decide to shred out your grass and start over at home too. Yeah. You know, shoot, it gives me, it gets me out of the house. It gives me a little bit of exercise. You know, again, I, I probably don't spend as much time on my, my yard at home as people think that I do. Um, you know, sure. There's some fertile fertilizer apps and some things that go into it, but like, you know, I got home, I, I was gone all week in Arizona. I got home last night and wife wasn't home from work yet. And I, I mowed my front and back grass and did a little bit of water. And I think it took me like 15 minutes. Like, you know, um, it's not as much time as people think. All right. I'll take your word for it, but I still don't really believe you. That's okay. <laughs> uh, you you know, you talk about assistant coaches and I think it's obviously everybody knows it's a huge part of part of the game. And if you don't have good assistant coaches, your program's not going to be successful because right. like you mentioned, like even even like you said, like delegating some responsibilities to kids. Obviously, with coaches, you have to delegate far more responsibility and actually, you know, coaching yeah. kids is a huge deal. So when you got down there um, over the course of these last six years, uh, what have it, what has it been like finding assistant coaches, keeping assistant coaches? I know like you're at least a little while ago, you're looking to find a new JV yeah. coach to come in. Like what's the assistant coach search and retain and all that stuff like for you at Granada Hills? You know, it's funny. That's actually the hardest part of my job here. When I was up at Sweet Home, I think, uh, and I could be, just be making this number up in my head, I felt like I had a 10-man staff freshman through varsity team uh, up there in Oregon with with no problem at all. And I struggled. I, I have struggled all the way up till this year, really, to, to get any sort of staff. I, I hired uh, my right-hand man, Sal Meta. He came in the year I did, I, I again, just a job posting on the CIF website or Twitter or wherever it was that I posted it. I hired Sal. He's been with me all six years. And even the last few years, he's only been a part-timer because he got a promotion at work. Uh, but every single year, I struggle to find coaches. Last year was, uh, excuse me, when I say last year, not this last spring, the previous spring, uh, I literally, there was several practices that I coached a varsity practice by myself. Um, I had one uh, assistant coach and he was uh, a young guy who was who was coming from work and there was days he couldn't get off work. Uh, and then all of a sudden this year, I've been very, very blessed. This last spring, I, I, I hired a couple guys that have been phenomenal. I had a math teacher um, that kind of came in and said, hey, I'd like to help out. And then he kind of was able to clear off his schedule a little bit to where he was able to help. help. But, you know, going back to the JV thing, I just was able to hire a, a JV coach uh, a couple weeks ago. Hey, but I've had um, I, I've had this I had the same JV coach this last year, two years in a row. 
And it's the first time I had four JV coaches in four years, um, which is really tough to do. Uh, really tough to, to establish longevity within a program and have a lot of structure. I, I, I was really fortunate to have the same JV coach for two years. He was an alum that had played for me. Uh, unfortunately, he has to go back to school himself. Uh, and so that's why I was look, I'm looking for now my fifth JV coach. And this will be years. I'll have five JV coaches in seven years. Dang. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to, I don't know why it's so hard. I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Obviously I think yeah. um, the schedule is really hard anyway. The timing of it's yeah. bizarre because what kind of job lets you out at, you know, two, three right. o'clock. That's hard to yeah. do. There's no pay in it. Like you're not going to get rich or make any sort yeah. of money that makes financial sense doing this over working at, you know, seven 11 or something. I think we've been really fortunate I, the whole time I've been at, at South Salem. We've had the same freshman coach and he was there a few years before I was at. So I think he's nine years in and he's been amazing. And the stability of having the same freshman yeah. head baseball coach oh, for nine years. So every time yeah. a new group of kids comes in, like, you know, they're learning the way we do things and he's amazing at it. He should be a head coach somewhere. And so I know that day has got to come soon. And it's just like, I'm bracing myself of like, how in the world can I ever find anybody that's even half as good? And then yeah. we just hired a new head JV coach this past year. He was fantastic. But it's it's so hard to find head coaches one at the freshman and JV level. And then I've I have found it appear harder to find assistants at those levels. Oh um, yeah. Most yeah. most of the people I find who are like, hey, I want to coach baseball. I'm like, all right, cool. You get talking with them and they're like, oh, I, I meant like varsity. And I'm like, well, <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I've I had need a help with the younger too. guys, you know? Yeah, I, I've had a lot of that, too. And, and that's that's so awesome that you've had the same guy for nine years. I, I you know, going going a step further on my front, I think I'm going to be I, I'm actually looking for a head freshman coach right now. I think I'm pretty sure I'm going to be going on my seventh head freshman coach in seven years. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the good oh, thing, man. though, is, is you know, part of why I've been able to kind of build a staff a little bit the last year is now I'm getting to the point where, you know, I've got these kids who have played for me in my program and they want to come back and they want to coach. Yes. So I think, yes. I think like uh, seven of the nine coaches in my program right now are all kids that I've, are, are all young guys that I've coached, um, you know, and want to come back. And so, but again, goes back to that point of, you know, how, how do they get off at three o'clock now that they need a big boy job and they, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's no money involved and, you know, all this other stuff. It, yeah. It, it's really hard to, to keep longevity of coaches these days because you don't have a lot of just, you know, the, the best is you get that guy who's like retired. So, you know, but, but he still yes. wants to coach baseball and he can be there. Just tell me what time, um, you know, those are the best guys obviously. And, and, and uh, well, any helps good help, but it's really hard to get a guy who's like, yep. My, and I just got lucky. And I, that my new JV coach is like, yeah, I get out. I work from 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I can be there. And if I need to get off early on game day, I can just get off early and it's no problem. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you're hired. We don't even have to continue talking. Not literally, yeah. but, um, you know, but but that's kind of what you're <laughs> looking for. And and it's really, really hard to find that. Plus, there's all there's so many, you know, hoops you got to jump through to coach and so much paperwork yep. and, um, you know, just so many different things that you know, almost make it, it's like, crap, I, I got to pay to take this coaching certificate. And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, everybody has to. And, um, but yeah, it's tough. It really is. Yeah. The, the old guy who's retired has been, we've had a couple of those come through. They're yeah. godsend. They're so nice to have. Cause they can, like, I've had a 
when I first took over, we had one who came and coached with us and he was fantastic during the school day. He'd be like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm going to go mow. It'd yeah. be like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you go for it. Man. Like <laughs> go crazy. Right. And then uh, I'm in year seven. So we're kind of similar in, in years yeah. at our programs. And so we're just now like you were talking about having guys who played for us who are now coming back through to yeah. coach. That's been really cool. So I'm hoping that that like you, I'm hoping that becomes a, a source of, of, even if it's just for a couple of years when they first right. get out of college before they really get their feet going on whatever job they have. But yeah. I think those are some of the best guys to have. Um, you mentioned parents earlier. And so you know, obviously you've been in Oregon, now you're in Southern California. You're able to do the yeah. tryout a lot earlier. So when you have parents in your program, a lot of the times for me, the first time I'm meeting at least freshman parents is at our parent meeting in like February. And so for you, I imagine it's a little bit different. So what is your like relationship with parents? When do they first meet you? What's the process like? How do they get to know you? What do you expect from them? So on and so forth. Yeah, I typically do a parent meeting and, and, and you know, uh, take this as a good or a bad thing, but Zoom Zoom, Zoom's a good thing and a bad thing, but I, I, I do it on Zoom now. Um, just makes it easier for everybody. But um, I do like a Zoom parent meeting early in the fall. Like uh, I'll probably do it like near the end of August or so. Um, and, and it's it, I have I'm I'm pretty detail oriented. I do a PowerPoint and I do a structure. And what I actually do is I send out a Google form before the meeting and I say, hey, any questions that you would think that you'd like to ask in this meeting, put this in a Google form. And so that way I get a list of these questions and I can I can answer a lot of the common questions they're going to have uh, based off of that Google form in my PowerPoint presentation. And I kind of keep it precise and to the point. And then what I'll do is, is it also gives them an opportunity to reach out to me with these questions that they're thinking of. And then, you know, if it's just like some random generic question that I don't want to answer in the meeting, I'll reach out to them directly. And then that way I can kind of get figure out, you know, what their questions are and how I can, how I can appease, you know, or, or answer their questions or help them, you know, be comfortable with our program. But I let them know kind of a timeline calendar of, Hey, here's kind of what our calendar looks like. Here's what to expect. Um, and again, I, I, you know, open lines of communication. I, I, I probably email my parents more than any other coach, just because I try to over communicate than under communicate. If there's anything that some of my parents say, you know, joke around and say, oh, I don't, didn't even open up your email because it was like the third one I've got this week, you know, sort of thing. I don't email them literally three times a week, but you get my point. Anytime there's, a, I, I try to over communicate things and uh, they get to at least have an idea of who I am early on. And, um, you know, yeah, that's kind of the long answer to your question. The Google Forms thing is so obviously obvious yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why I've never done that the zoom yeah. thing I, think, I, I I think that's a great way to do it because I, one of the COVID was not fun but one of the right. best things that came out of it was the like how quick technology improved and how everybody learned how to use it so everybody yeah. knows how to use zoom now it's no it's no secret it's simple stuff the the yeah. pre-quest google forms are awesome and then being able to reach out with people individually yeah. is great the zoom so great was so great and i don't do that as like a, oh gosh like i don't want to show up in person or i don't want it to be informal it's nothing like that it's just it's more along the lines of it's just easier for everybody you know if i have an yeah. in-person meeting you know and somebody's got to get off work and then they've got to drive over there and it's inconveniencing their dinner they can have the the zoom meeting going while they're eating dinner at their house you know or right from their cell phone as they're driving home from work and so I just found that to be a lot easier. And, and again, trying to get feedback and, you know, I probably, you, you know, send out Google forms for, for everything, but um, 
I've found from the parent feedback that it's just easier for them. And then again, it's just easier for me to stay to the point and have my notes and have my PowerPoint presentation and, and be able to show all that. And, you know, they still see me on camera and all that stuff. Well, and if, if they miss it, what, you know, what if they can't get off work or if they're gone or who knows what, Yeah, that they just missed the meeting, right? There's like, there's no, there's no recording of you in in the library with all other hundred parents, right? Exactly. Zoom, it's super simple and easy. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's easy. What do you, what do you think of like, um, your team then? So you, you know, you have tryouts in August, team set, you're doing parent meetings, you've got fall baseball, you've got winter baseball. Um, when you, I guess you have like formal meetings with individual players throughout the season. Are you meeting informally throughout the season? If I'm, th- I'm thinking more of like, if I'm a kid and I made the JV team or not, not, not the JV, but like, I'm projected probably going to be a JV player, but I think I might be a varsity player. How do I know where I'm at throughout the course of the of the season up, or the off season heading into the actual spring when I'm going to be on a specific team? We're always having informal meetings, just kind of like you know, throughout the year. Um, we don't, you know, I they they know I have an open door policy. If the, so, if they ever want a formal meeting and they want to sit down with me, and it happens, um, we talk. Um, it's very rare. I don't know. I don't. It's very rare that kids think they're on the wrong team. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they think that more often and they just don't tell me. But I don't have too many kids who are like, Coach, what the heck? I really should be on varsity. Um, I think part of that is our numbers too. Like, you know, I, I our there's probably some freshmen that think they should be on JV, but there's not as many JVs who think they should be on varsity. If that makes sense, because they can yes. kind of see the depth chart in front of them. And, you know, we do, we will do some inner squads and things like that. So they'll get opportunities to kind of prove themselves, you know, so if a kid came out and, you know, you know, inner squad and he was a JV guy and he went two for two with a home run or a, you know, a double in the gap or something, um, you know, he, that would obviously maybe, oh shoot, maybe I should be on varsity, but it's kind of rare. It's kind of funny how that never seems to happen, you know, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, you know, I meet with, you know, team captains all the time. T- or, uh, captains is probably isn't the right word. Team leaders all the time. I, I, I kind of went away from setting captains, but um, I meet with team leaders and, and um, I try to still keep in touch with, you know, some of the younger guys, uh, you know, on the lower levels and stuff ex- that, that I think are leaders and, and, you know, try to keep keep involved that way so that um, kids feel like they're, they can have a voice if, if they want to have a voice, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think one of the, I don't know, I think with kids, a lot of times you're right. I think it's the freshman kid who probably sees that a little bit better than the JV kid does. um, Or maybe sees it worse, depending on, depending on what word you want to use with it. Um, Yeah. But I, when you, when you kind of set out for the season and you're, you're putting together your rosters, what are the typical numbers that you have with, within each level? Like how many kids are you, are you keeping in your program? Yeah. So I'll work from the bottom up. So for the freshman level, I try to keep as many kids as I can. Um, you know, I mentioned we we're probably going to have 40 freshmen that try out this August. And, um, one, I, I don't like to cut, cut kids. Um, two, um, you know, you just never really know how they, how they're going to develop. Uh, and three, it always seems like, you know, the freshman level is always the level where you seem to lose a kid here and there. They either, you know, decided this school wasn't for them or, grades or um uh, discipline you know just something we always seem to lose four or five freshmen every you know throughout the year 
the year for for something random. And so we, we we try to keep that number as high as we can. I think we've kept as many as 22. That's on the high end. I think this year we probably had uh, 16 to 18. I don't remember exactly. Um, and that and then on the J, the JV level is probably the one that's more the lowest, um, only because we typically if you're a freshman, you better be really good to make the JV team. Like we better think you're going to be an impact guy. Um, but the, our JV team, I don't keep any juniors. I, I, it's, it's basically the sophomore team with with some a couple freshmen sprinkled in. And we'll keep that number anywhere from 14 to, um, you know, sometimes on the high end, 18. But 16 kind of seems like the magic number. We don't want to have a bunch of playing time issues. We don't want to, um, you know, we, we, we already got to see you as a freshman. So we have a pretty good idea of kind of where you're at. Um, you know, in, 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 you know, we think, yeah, you could have a future in your program or not, you know, and, and then obviously going into your, your junior year, you better be able to make varsity and you better be able to, you know, be an impact guy on varsity. You might not necessarily need to start, um, but you better, you know, provide some sort of value, uh, to that varsity roster on the varsity roster. 18 kind of seems like the magic number to me. Uh, I don't. I think this year we were down a couple. Uh, we had a, a one kid transfer out, and I think we, we lost one kid to grades. I think we were down to sixteen, uh, if I remember right. Um, I've kept as high as twenty before. I don't like the number being higher than that because I just don't want to have a bunch of playing time issues, and I don't want a bunch of kids, you know, sitting around feeling like, oh, I'm never going to get in the game. I don't have any value. I want that kid who's on that team to feel valued and I want them to, to legitimately have some sort of be able to make some sort of impact to us. And I have a hard time, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a hard time believing somebody who keeps 26, 28 and I see it. I see, I see rosters who keep 24, sure. 26, 28 guys. Uh, I have a hard time believing that each one of those kids feels like they have a value and they have a chance to make an impact uh, on that team. Um, so those are kind of our numbers, 18 on varsity, roughly give or take one or two, uh, JV 16 to 14 to 16, give or take one or two, and then freshmen as many possible. And I'm kind of weird too. I like even numbers. We, I, the, co- <laughs> the assistant coaches kind of joke around with me as we kind of have our, our meetings and, um, you know, make our cuts after tryouts. They always joke around. I'm like, Oh, we're at 17. We either, neither need to keep one more or cut one more. Yeah. I don't know. Just because you're playing catch, you need to have two. I don't know. I'm just kind of weird like that. I like even numbers. It doesn't mean that we don't ever have odd numbers, but you know how it is. No, I think it's a baseball thing. And I think it is what you mentioned. It's catch play. Yeah. You don't have an uneven number. Otherwise you gotta have a coach playing catch. You gotta have a three way and that's never ideal. You want, you want pairs, clean pairs. You can do competitions a lot better. It just makes everything so much cleaner with an even number on a baseball team. hundred percent. What's uh? what do you think? Like practice planning stuff. Um, you mentioned earlier that sometimes you even would be the only coach there. Uh, yeah. but let's say it's an ideal, ideal day. You've got yeah. full coaching staff there and you're, you're planning practice. What's a typical practice look like at Granada Hills? Yeah. So we, I mean, we'd start off, we, you know, we'd always two thirty would be our meet time, you know, on, on a normal day, Tuesdays would be seven minutes later. Cause we have, you know, a, a professional development day, but two thirty, we'd, we'd meet, we'd, we'd, we'd talk over practice schedule. We have our practice schedule posted every day. Um, so we use Canvas uh, as far as our class structure. So I have a Canvas class for my baseball class. And by the end of lunch every day, I'll post the practice schedule online on Canvas. So they check that out. Uh, it's, it's also uh, there's a hard copy at the field just in case they're having a tech issue or whatever. Um, that that practice plan will have a quote of the day uh, that they're expected to memorize. Again, that's a Rob Younger thing right there. Rob, In fact, yep. 
about 50% of my quote of the days is, is from Rob Younger. Um, you know, uh, and then, so, uh, two 30, we meet, we, you know, Hey, what's the quote of the day? Here's our practice plan. We kind of verbalize whatever we're going to do. If, if we're in season, we're going over scouting report at that point. If we're, you know, here's, here's what we're going to see tomorrow. Here's the arm. Here's our game plan, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we, you know, we get right into a dynamic warm up. We, you know, we, we dynamic warm up stretch, you know, get through all that and then right into arm care. Uh, I'm big into arm care stuff. I'm, I'm, I, we probably spend more time on arm care than, than the average program, but you know, all the way from our J band warm up to, um, you know, uh, we do all, every single one of our guys is, is on the driveline plyo program. Um, mm-hmm. so we're, we're doing, uh, plyo, uh, warmups, every single guy, whether they're a pitcher or not. Um, they know what throwing day we're on, whether it's a recovery day, a hybrid B hybrid, a competition day, so on and so forth. Uh, and then obviously we get into our long toss, uh, from there, uh, shoot, we're probably already at three fifteen at that point. We're probably 45 minutes into practice, uh, by the time we're done throwing, uh, tip, you know, it's funny that usually we'd get into in, uh, individual defense or IDs after that this year, because we had a couple coaches coming from after the bell. Uh, at three thirty, we 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 this year we kind of flip flopped and we go into a team defensive thing and before individual defense only because of again because of the schedule. But we do some sort of team defense for fifteen to twenty minutes. Kind of depends upon what we need that day, whether it's PFPs or um, you know relays or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, it's funny. I got actually to jump back. One of my new assistant coaches this year was big on ladder drills, so we did a lot of ladder footwork drills and stuff with. Uh, early on uh, that was only about five or ten minutes uh, and, and this isn't the exact practice schedule some some days instead of team defense we might have base running or something like that but um, and we wouldn't do individual defense necessarily every day but but most days um, we get into individual work again I really like again this goes back to my football days I like to have a position coach uh, for each position um, I have a catching coach who works with the catchers I have uh, Anthony who works with my infielders Coach McCovey works with my outfielders, um, you know, and and then I'll kind of fill in if a coach isn't there. I can roam. I can work with pitchers on, you know, guys who are POs. I can work on picks or whatever we need to work on uh, doing our IDs. And then we get into hitting. And, and, and again, I don't know if this is normal within most programs, but we hit on the field basically every day. Um, uh, we, We have our hitting bubble out and we'll have, you know, typically three groups where there's a group in the cage, a group in the field, and there's a group up in, in the cages hitting this year. We kind of implemented our JVs a little bit more. Uh, and I want to try to implement our JVs even more next year, uh, into some of that, but our JVs would kind of be off on the side doing their stuff that, you know, when we were doing defense early, they'd be up in the cages, our freshmen would be mixing in, uh, there might be throwdowns going up in the out, out in the outfield. And, uh, you know, with our, with our team hitting stuff, it's, it's, it's game plan stuff. We try to do things that are, um, shoot, I'm probably giving way too many secrets away to my league rivals who will never hear this, but, uh, <laughs> hopefully they hear this, but, um, uh, you know, we do a lot of, we, we do a lot of, um, you know, game specific batting practice, you know, so, we're, we're, you know, uh, I, I don't give a lot of feel good BP on the field unless it's a different coach throwing. I, I, you know, I'm challenging them. We have our hack attack up there. We, you know, if we, it, we might be mimicking a certain release point or a certain profile of pitch that we're going to see, we're certainly mimicking a specific, specific velocity that we're trying to game plan for. Um, I also run our pitching, our pitchers as well. So there's a lot of days that when we're hitting, I'm, that's when I'm, you know, down in the bullpens. If we have bullpens that day, working bullpens and, and doing that sort of stuff. So that's kind of a typical practice at Granada Hills Charter. Um, 
you know, obviously it'll, it'll change a little bit based on what we ne- we need. And that's not as much year round er- early on. We're not doing as it, we're not going as long as, you know, we're, we're like I said, in August, we're not there on the field for two and a half hours. And, you know, September, we start long tossing in October, we start bullpens, you know, we got fall ball games starting right around that time. And then we shut down for, for the holidays for a little bit. And then January is really when we ramp up and we're, we're going uh, two and a half hours, five days a week. When I think about the team hitting and on-field hitting, so this year, like I mentioned, we didn't have a home field, so we didn't really have a place to practice on a baseball field. We practiced on the football field and in the gym, in the cages pretty much the whole time. I think we practiced two times on an actual baseball field. So we didn't get to do on-field BP at all. Yeah, Uh, And... I th- I think our hit I think we did a great job of getting better at hitting. I think being in the cages lended itself really well to being able to really focus in on a lot of things that we needed to get better at. But yeah. where I thought we really lost out on advantages was ironically when you're hitting on the field your defense gets so much better because you can run all sorts yeah. of different things defensively. Right. And we didn't have that this year. And yeah. oh my gosh, what a difference running on field BP makes specifically for your outfielders, but also infielders too, obviously. But it yeah. just, it, there's just so much to gain from it that you wouldn't necessarily think unless you really sat down to like walk through it with yourself. Like, oh my gosh, this makes us so much better defensively. Yeah. And that's one of my big pet peeves too, is I watch batting practice. And if I turn around and I see there's like three guys like hanging out in center field, just with their arms crossed, you know, not getting live reps, you know, that's one of the the quick ways they know that, that I get really frustrated. And that's where we kind of implemented some JV stuff in there too, so that our JVs could get reps. So that's something that I'd never really done before. And it seems like such common sense. And so like, Mm-hmm. like duh why didn't you do that but i didn't really implement our jvs as much into that circuit of hey you guys need to get some live reps here uh it, and again you learn and you evolve and you grow and you you adapt things every single year and you know we're looking to to even expand off of that next year do you have anything in practice that you feel like your your players really enjoy doing we do a lot of competition stuff as well. So, we, and the other thing, we we implement a lot of music in practice. I don't know yeah. if that's normal if other coaches do that, but we have our sound system going throughout practice, and we try to create a fun, energetic atmosphere. So they look forward to that because um, they get to, they run the playlist. I just say, hey, just make sure it's clean, um, you know. And, and so they get to choose their music, and they have fun with it. And like you know, they may have certain themes or certain days that they're doing. And then again, going back to what I was saying is competition stuff. We, we try to create competition throughout practice. We may have some fun game. As I mentioned, Anthony liked to run my new assistant coach this year, liked to run ladder drills. We, we'd have like some sort of relay game or we had this really fun game where that they really liked where um, we had foam balls on the ground and, and like they had to crawl around blindfolded and they had to like th- it was like dodgeball. And it was nothing more than just fun competition. It's not anything baseball. There's nothing baseball skills other than team camaraderie and chemistry that we were working on. But just doing some fun things like that, that just kind of keep things fresh um, so that they're not just coming out there and just taking ground balls and throwing the baseball and hitting the baseball and then going home over and over and over again. So I think the more that you can create those fun things, we also implement a lot of technology within it too. Sometimes the kids like that. Sometimes, sometimes the kids don't, uh, we try to create competitions through our block with the blast motion sensor. We try to create competition with our team rap Soto hitting, which never seems to work and probably frustrates them more than, 
then uh, then it helps. But, you know, I, I, I'll, sometimes I'll post the leaderboards of, you know, average exit velocity for the month or I don't know, maybe the kids like that. Maybe the kids don't, but at least try to k- create some fun, energetic, new age, like different things that are, um, you know, different than what maybe somebody down the street's doing. I, I don't think there's anything that frustrates a good hitter more than the Rapsodo maybe not being very accurate because we'll have days where we had, we used it a ton more than we ever have this year since we were inside yeah. so much. And you, you get a really good hitter in there and they feel like they crush a ball and they look over and, you know, it says they didn't. They yeah. get they could get really upset with that stuff. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I know we've talked, you know, about the Rapsodo hitting thing and I'm not yeah. trying to slam Rapsodo or say don't get Rapsodo hitting. I'm certainly not what I'm trying to say, but early on, we ended up finding out that we had a Rapsodo unit that actually was, the monitor was broken and, and credit to Rapsodo. They took care of us and they, they get, they got us a new one and I love Rapsodo. So I, I'm certainly not a, I don't want this to be like, Oh shoot, you just slam wraps. You know, it's not what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> no, it seems, no. yeah, you're right. Like there's a misfire here and there nothing's perfect. No technology is perfect, but you know, it, then the kids kind of turn it into, you know, Oh shoot, you know, is this, is this real? Is this not, you know, but, I probably enjoy it more than they do. Yeah, me too. I we're all frustrated that many times with Rapsodo, but it is one of the yeah. best things we've ever purchased for our program. It just makes it makes indoor stuff so much more fun. It makes right. the the data collection so much better. There's a lot of great stuff from it, but there's definitely parts where it's frustrating. And I was yeah. just I was well, you know, John hit it and he got 98 and you hit 87, so I guess John's better than you. And ah, you know, they get all upset. Yeah, it makes for kind of a fun environment. So yeah, I probably like it more than they do, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, for sure. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Um, You know, as we kind of wrap wrap it up a little bit, I think probably a good time to circle back to the start. So, you know, you obviously, you know, played at Sweet Home and and then graduated from there and 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 then obviously you went back and coached really quickly there yeah. and were there for quite a while. Uh, you've maintained a, a great relationship with Rob Younger, your own high school coach. Now obviously yeah. you you ended up coaching for a long time. You're still doing it. You're having a good time. Uh, and, and we're in this weird zone now where like we, we talked through how it's been hard to find assistant coaches a lot of the times. It's just it's just a weird environment right now. And so when you're thinking of right. like high school sports, why do they matter? What's the importance of them? If you were in front of like a governing body who was deciding, you know, whether or not to place vast amounts of money into high school sports or something like that, like what would be your argument for why, why high school sports are worth it? Yeah. I mean, just again, because it's, it's, it's bigger than sports. It's, it's really about, you know, life skills. It's really about uh, making an impact on these kids' lives. It's really about the, the social skills that they get making friends and, and creating lifelong memories uh, with people. Um, you know, at the it, it, 20, 30 years from now, they're not going to remember, you know, they might remember a big hit or a big game or whatever, but they're not going to remember the scores of the games. They're going to remember that the people that they were associated with, the life skills that they learned, um, you know, the, the, the bus rides that, you know, all those sort of things. And again, that's why I got into coaching was, to, you know, try to hopefully provide some sort of positive impact uh, or positive environment for these kids, you know, similar to what, not just Rob Younger, but Dan Tao and, and my, my high school basketball coach um, and, and all the coaches that I, that I played for uh, provided for me, you know, in, in, uh, people want to say, Oh, sports aren't important or high school sports aren't important or they cost money or, or we shouldn't, we, we should cut this or cut that, you know, 
again, like I, I don't, I'm not trying to sound like sports are more important than any sort of academics or any sort. It's certainly not at all. But, but the just from the social skills and the leadership skills and the problem solving skills, um, and all the the you know positive things that that sports can provide, where they're just seeing negative, negative, negative. Not to mention the the, the exercise portion of things. You know, I don't want to get into a whole thing about you know obesity and and people not getting exercise or people not, people just being stuck to, you know, electronics or, you know, stuck to their phone the whole time, but just to get them out for two and a half hours and say, Hey, you're not going to have your cell phone at practice. Uh, you're going to talk to the person next to you and learn how to talk to somebody. Um, there's so many just skills that are just so valuable and, uh, that, that are just above and beyond just, uh, I could hit a baseball or I could throw a baseball or I won a championship or I won so many games. And then finishing up with field maintenance once more. <laughs> uh, what's the what's the next project? What are you going to do to the field next? Is there anything on your wish list? Anything facility wise that you're looking to do to improve it? You know, I don't know. Um, I, it, I've kind of got into the thing where it's almost a little bit of a routine each year now. Um, you know, it's it funny. I, just right before we started this podcast, I was just out there at the field for the first time in a week because <laughs> yes, I've been were. in Arizona and I go out there in my mound covers off over the grass so i got a big giant yellow uh nice burn hole on the on my infield right now that i gotta go out there and flood out but 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 no the probably the next big project you know i i just bought a new um uh drag is i didn't buy the big abi machine i can't afford that that's way too much money but i just got a new uh abi uh rascal pro i think it's called which is going to help me kind of tear up my lines a little bit and be able to backfill one of one of the biggest jobs that I and I kind of neglected it this year is backfilling my edges um it's really uh, it's a really long process and it's a lot of manual labor and it's a pain in the butt uh and so I only really do it about once a year but this new rascal pro that I got is going to help me supposedly rip out my lines and be able to my my base lines and my my edge lines from grass to dirt transitions what I'm talking about um, and, and be able to backfill those and get those kind of leveled in. That's probably my next big project. And then, you know, uh, I won't do a lot to the field over the summer just because I try to be away from the field as much as I can. Um, but when I come back, uh, I'll my my big project in the fall is my overseed project. I'll be overseeding mm-hmm. my field as soon as I possibly can. I'm a little bit scared this year because we've had such a cool summer. I'm assuming that we're going to have a really hot fall, which means – you know, I can't put grass seed down till a little bit later, but I, I, as soon as I can possibly get grass seed down on my infield, um, I'll get grass seed down on my infield. And, and those will probably be the, the two big projects that I'll have um, really up till next year. You know, basketball coach listening is probably like, what in the world? We just show up yeah. and use our courts. We just sweep a little bit and we're good to go. Oh, I know. I know. I could talk to you for two hours just on, on groundskeeping stuff. And it's, I love talking about groundskeeping stuff, by the way. So if you ever off the record, non-podcast wise, want to, you know, talk groundskeeping or anybody listening who wants to talk groundskeeping, hit me up. I'm always helping people out or always just, I can get really nerdy and scientific and, and, you know, crazy with some of this stuff. So if you ever do have questions, I'm happy to help out with a lot of that stuff because I love that stuff. Well, Sam King, you know, works for the, well, did work for the Hillsborough Hops up here, minor league I've team. I've met him. About I know him. North. Yeah, he's a good yeah. dude. And yeah. uh, man, he would, he would just do the most amazing things yep. at home plate 
with yeah. uh, different colored turfists and just make these incredible designs. And so yeah. I'd, I'd reached out to him a few times and I was really excited heading into this past year because he had taught me how to kind of color the turfists and then use it to kind of do different color batting boxes and stuff. Yeah. And I was excited because I'm, like, I'm going to try this out. This is going to be my thing. And obviously our field got destroyed. So I'm, I'll, we'll reset it for next year. But yeah. th- there's some there's some pretty cool, the the, the groundskeeping world yeah. of Twitter is a is an incredible place. And I keep, anytime I come across a groundskeeping, like, yeah, uh, you know, profile, I always follow it. And just, it's just, it's incredible what people can do with, yeah. with you know, with dirt basically. I know it really is. It, it, it is. And it's a lot of fun and I enjoy all that stuff. And like I said, not a lot of people do it. So um, again, it goes back to what we were talking about, trying to provide the best, you know, nice facilities for the kids, the kids. I don't know. Maybe the kids don't appreciate that as much as I think they do. I, it probably is more for my own benefit. I know the coaches are like, Ooh, and on, you know, I get a lot of compliments from coaches and kids are just kind of kids. I think they, they've seen, I don't know if they, they appreciate it as much as, 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 as we do. I hope they do. Well, if they if if they ever own a home someday or they yeah. mow a lawn, they'll they'll start to appreciate and understand it. Certainly, if they become a baseball coach, they will. Yeah. Uh, coach, appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could do this. We had some excitement. We tried to record this before the season started. I can't remember. Yeah. I had to cancel for some reason. Then we jumped on here after you at your field, and we couldn't get a mic to work, and it it, it worked at the very last second, right before we exited out. And I'm so glad it did. And yeah, um, wish you the wish you the best summer. Obviously, we'll we'll chat and stuff offline together over Twitter and whatnot. But for sure, um, excited for you to keep running things up into year seven and and see if you can't get a fourth consecutive uh, uh championship yeah, we're trying to go league. for that cif title that's the next hump we got to get over so we came, we came real close this we year came yeah. close we got the semifinals, but we, we got it we're going to try to get it to the next step next year but yeah no i really appreciate you having me on anytime um really do appreciate it absolutely go ducks yeah go ducks He is one of those guys who I've never met in person, but I know on the day in which I do, it'll be like we've known each other our whole lives. Such a good guy and so phenomenally easy to talk to. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media via email or through the old fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better. And that's how we keep on growing the club. Huge fist bump to Matt Matuzic for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.